Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burse, LCSW. And in today's episode, I have the privilege of talking to Kristen Berge, who is a former foster youth and a current foster and adoptive mom. She is an amazing human being and shares so vulnerably. We kind of jump right into conversation around things that make us um, uncomfortable about foster care and just fostering in general, as well as simple ways and just even more in-depth ways that we can learn to do what it takes to be better foster moms and just better humans in this world, really caring for bio family and really learning what it means to be allies and wrap around bio family. And, and just, if that's not possible for us right now, how to hope for it for the future. So I know that you're going to be blessed by this episode as I was. So let's dive right into conversation with Kristen Berge. Thank you for doing that. It's so important. It was just like from start to finish, my story felt so honored, but at the oh, same time, beautiful. like it was crazy. The perspectives that they had of foster care Mm. I think growing up in it and being around people, I didn't realize what some people actually think about foster care. Right. And the assumptions they had were so far off from the reality and the complexity of foster care. Right. Cause they're looking for short, quick, easy, Mm. like we can solve this by doing X, Y, and Z. And it's like X, Y, and Z has been tried and failed many times. It's it's complex and foster bio parents aren't always the enemy, right? They're most likely in foster care themselves when they were younger. There's been generations of abuse and neglect and and we I think we spend way more time supporting foster families than we do bio families. I that has been something I have been thinking about so much lately. Something that has been on my heart and my mind is like this immense like heaviness around the stipend that we received and I'm like I don't need this it makes me uncomfortable to receive it and what would it do for the bio mom absolutely if she had this stipend every month like god she's working two jobs like you know what I mean I'm like it it, it's just like she's like trying to get a house like housing secure I'm like this is the wrong you're giving this to the wrong person that is literally how I've been feeling lately. And I just, I'm just like wrestling with it. I don't know what to do with it, but I absolutely agree. There's so many incredible programs out there. If you decide to keep your baby, you can take parenting classes in exchange for vouchers to shop in their, you know, baby stores. Why don't we have something similar where bio families can earn, can work hard to earn extra supports that can allow their children to stay out of care. Right. Um, I, Cause that's exactly, oh man. Yes. Like that is so needed. I have all these things in my head that I'm like, when we like are taking a break from fostering or done fostering, I don't know when that will be, but I have so many things that I want to like start advocating for and doing like, but I don't have the bandwidth for at this moment, but I'm like, there's just, and I said to my husband, I was like, I will, I will spend the rest of my life advocating for 
her mom and every and everything that she's going yeah. through like organizations Absolutely. that support mental health that support addiction I, i'm like because we just can't right. be like cool thanks for your kids like i can't do that Absolutely. oh my gosh it's it's sickening how we alienate and and make them the bad guys and and notice the system's almost set up for them to fail it really right? is it really and that's i mean we even when we got like the news that we could adopt our son i was like oh, i'm happy but like uh, i yeah. feel gutted like i feel Absolutely. like this isn't like oh it, it's just that should be the response it's, it's so response. a broken it's, hallelujah right it's not a ugh. tremendous blessing this child forever this entire family forever yeah. i heard a influencer talk about how as like as people of believers of any faith we should be saying that we are called to we are called to adopt or called to foster in a way that we're adopting a family right yes. Yeah. And if that means that we get to just add an extra family to our table, then, oh my gosh, that is beautifully the, you know, extending a bigger table is the gospel. It's mm-hmm. not fostering it up. We're not saviors. We don't go in and just decide what we know is best for a family. Only God knows. And so um, in the process of fostering, in the process of being God's hands and feet and doing what he's called us to do, if he's truly leading us, then our table should be extended. And I know there's a lot of, you know, situations where that's not safe. And the best needs of the child is removal and permanency outside of the home. But I truly felt if we were to take off a bit of that pride and that judgment, then, um, yeah, we would have longer tables and, and bigger hearts for sure. 100%. I honestly, that is, and I think too, just like not stopping hoping for that. Like, even if it's like, cause once you adopt a child, it's like, my goodness, we adopted my son at two years old, like till he's like at least 18, like I can still keep hoping for this relationship with this mom who gave her child the gift of life. Like, I mean, that's another thing that really gets me going sometimes. I'm like, if we really say that we care about the sanctity of life, then we need to care about the sanctity of bio moms and dad's lives too. Like they chose life against all odds. They did not choose or want to have their children removed from them. And what are we doing now to support them besides just taking their kids? Right. Right. Yep. It's funny you say that because we, um, on our adoption trip, so I'm adopting a 18 year old she just aged out. I had done respite care for her in the past, but she was going to be adopted by a different family. It didn't work out. And so I moved her into my home and we've started this process to adopt, but because of COVID, it's been you know delayed. So we went ahead and went on our adoption trip to Disney and Universal. And it was so much fun. And we had a blast and um, she has a service dog and the dog went with us and was just a hit. Like everyone that passed us by was, you know, so in love, matching ears, all the, the fun stuff. But at the end of the trip, we actually were very intentional. Um, Elise, because of her situation, had no contact with her biological parents since she was removed from their home at four years old. And so um, her older sister had been in contact with them and set up a, a meeting for us to meet her biological parents on this trip. And so we did, we actually went to her hometown in Florida and met her biological parents and it went amazing. These people had so much appreciation and gratitude. And I know that's not always the experience, but they genuinely were heartbroken hearing the journey that their child had gone through 
um, because of their lack. They're, they were so young when they had her and they were so inexperienced and I didn't have family to support them. But she was able to look them in the face and say, here I am. This is this is who I am. And they were able to say how proud they were of her and how grateful that we were a family. And um, it was so healing, I know, for her. And it was just incredible for me as well just to see where she'd come from and hear some of the stories of her actual heritage and of who she came from and the legacy that she gets to continue. Cause you know, as my firstborn, right, she is going to carry on my legacy, but she's also carrying on them as well. And I will never, you know, lose the weight of that for her and keep reminding her that there is so much good that she came from in the midst of brokenness. And just as their story hopefully is being redeemed, so can hers. Oh my gosh. I am going to cry. That is so beautifully said. Like that is just so beautiful. And it's so true. And I think it's truly at the heart of what we as foster parents hope for, really do hope for our kids is that they can carry on the legacy of our family and the family that they were born into. And that that doesn't have to be a mutually exclusive thing, that it can be an inclusive thing. Like you said, building a longer table what a beautiful mm-hmm. picture of, of God's kingdom, like you said. Yeah. Oh. And that's not the case in my own story. And so that's what's, I think, even more special is that, you know, my situation being in foster care in and out for most of my life, I just reunification isn't possible in my story. And I think being able to give her that gift is just so important to me because I, I understand how, how priceless it is, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. Will you, would you be willing to talk a little bit more about your story in foster care and how you became, you know, to be in the place where you are today to be a foster mom? Yeah. Yeah. I was born to a, a model and my dad was in the special forces in the Navy and they were really cool people and um, they were young and they were broken. And through my dad's PTSD and my mom's Um, struggles with her mental health. I know I was wanted. I know I was loved. But the practicalities of taking care of a child in the midst of your own struggle and brokenness um, was just too much. And so a lot of really hard things happen. And I remember growing up early on, I think the most damaging part of my childhood was the silence, just not really having a lot of interaction, um, having a lot of toys, a lot of things to play with, but not really being interacted with very often. And Unfortunately, through physical abuse, you know, going to bed and having to just be okay with immense amount of physical pain or or broken bone and just putting yourself to bed after that was some really monumental parts of my childhood and and mixing that in with um, some long-term sexual abuse from an outside person. The hopelessness that my little heart felt at such a young age um, was immense. And unfortunately, actually, my first suicide attempt was actually eight years old. And I couldn't even fathom, you know, what what suicide was. But to me, the the notion of even the idea of continuing life this way was just um, overwhelming. And so that that was my beginning. And as foster care started playing in and I was moving around and not really ever feeling a sense of home, I learned how to really put on the mask of invisibility and being able to fit into whatever family. It almost became like a a medal for me, a personal 
um, obstacle to achieve is how quickly I could, you know, mold into something so that I could stay there longer. And as I got older, it, my mom did try really hard to fight for me and to, to be the person she, she wanted to be. Um, but her own struggles just kept mounting and the instability throughout my life just caused some really heartbreaking, uh, I took it inward, right, and started self-harming and having eating disorder and running away and never really a sense of being able to just be a kid or just go through life and just have anything look and resemble normalcy, right? And uh, when I was 15, uh, my dad, unfortunately, um, lost his battle to PTSD after a long service in the Navy, and it it crushed me in a way that it now, I now understood what had happened at eight. And I understood that these feelings of hopelessness and, and pain while like, and questioning too, like I was, I was saved at five and just questioning how even we could be allowed to feel such emotional and physical pain, like how it's even possible. And I, I attempted again and um, was very close to, to being unalive. And um, by the grace of God, I wasn't. And I was able to move in with a family that had horses and they, while they had a lot of kids, they were older and they were sweet and they were gentle. And I think the first time my nervous system could actually take a break and just kind of, kind of feel a sense of safety, even if it wasn't home and it wasn't love, it was safe. And um, I just remember being so thankful for that short season of time where yeah, I just, I, I had the reprieve that, you know, the moment of catching my breath and realizing that I was, I was going to be okay. So I ended up graduating high school at 16, went off to um, work full time. I did end up homeless, but backhandedly a good decision because I was saying no to the instant gratification of belonging to the wrong crowd. So I was ma- being very intentional and making really good choices to keep myself in a good place, despite the lack of support and understanding by others. And um, through that, I ended up living with um, a lady in our church who just became such a cool like aunt type relationship. And through that, I, I started going to college. I got full scholarship. So I really could just focus on my studies and enjoy being in her home. And she actually had this baby grand piano in her living room. And she would just like play worship music like all the time. And she had such a great voice. And it was so, it was just so warm to be in this home and know that there was so much love and there was so much care. And that was a total catalyst for the next season of my life. And um, the next probably five to six years, I was a nanny. I helped plant a church in Florida and um, just went all over the world, mission trips for fun. I went to Israel. And um, as I was rounding out, I guess, my mid-20s, I, um, I started actually getting in touch with my mom. So my mom was married several times, and her latest husband um, was a firefighter, and they were unfortunately separating. And in the course of like a year and a half, I became so close with him, and he was so proud of me. We went on so many trips together really starting to kind of feel like I had some sense of parent. We'd go and have breakfast after he had off work. I would go have dinners with him at the fire station. 
uh, Christmases, things started actually looking the same. Because I think one of the hardest parts of my story was that, one, there was a lot of silence, even as I got older. But two, like, every season looks so different. There was absolutely no consistency for anything in my life. And so having him for that year and a half was just so special. And um, he attempted uh, suicide in 20, early 2018 and got really serious about mental health, really serious about trying to better himself because he knew how freaked out I was. He knew I was terrified of losing him. And so we went to counseling together. We supported each, like it was just beautiful. Like his fight was genuine and it was true. Um, but unfortunately he got to the place where it just, he was too tired. He was just not responding well to the treatments and the medications. And he unfortunately completed suicide Mm -hmm. in 2019. And I was actually already in the process of starting to foster because I was in such a great place. I was feeling loved. I was feeling seen. Like I knew that everything that I had been through and everything that I had become this life I was creating, I knew that there were other kids behind me that needed to know what I did and felt the way I did. And so I started that process. I went through and was matched with a little girl and was going to be bringing her home. And then this happened and, um, and it was devastating. And, and I was delayed for my daughter coming home. Um, And the time I was adopting a little girl Um, And it unfortunately didn't work out um, just due to the high, high level of need that she had, unfortunately, to be inpatient. But if that all hadn't happened, I wouldn't have met my daughter now because she was placed with me with a really short period of time. And while I probably wasn't probably in the best place to foster, honestly, that month was probably one of the highlights um, of my life. It was having a teenager is so demanding, but it's so fun. And it's a different type of demanding, right? It's like you have this mini me who sees all of your flaws and points them all out in a fun and annoying way. But she also saw how hard I was trying and she saw all and appreciated the little things. And she really, as in like my story, she just wanted a place to feel safe. And she just wanted a place to know that she was loved and she was seen. Yeah. And so that started a really beautiful season for both of us. I started plugging into community, really starting to share my story, really starting to, to find healing in creative ways. And um, here we are like two years later and we're both at the same university. She's a freshman. I'm in grad school and um, we're just tackling the world together in some really fun ways. Oh my gosh. I love the story of the redemption that has happened. That it, it just, this is wow. Like just beautiful and just so Thank thankful for you for being mm. so willing and being so vulnerable and sharing your story and, and continuing this work because it's so important. And I, I think that, you know, I don't know, one of the things that as a foster mom who has not had the experience of being in foster care, like it's just so important to hear from people who are willing to share vulnerably that what does it look like to come from those places and what does it look like? And what does it feel like to, you know, finally have, like you said, that nervous system rest, what does it feel like to finally have that sense of warmth and connection and that encouragement to pursue you know, your things that you're passionate about. And then to carry on the work of foster care is just 
it's just incredible. Mm -hmm. So I'm just in awe and thank you for, for all that you're doing. Thank you. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know really quickly about some amazing free resources for foster mamas on my website, fearlessfostering.com. I have a self-care quiz that will help you decide exactly what type of self-care you need at this point on your foster care journey, as well as a virtual retreat for foster mamas and an anxiety reducing email course, all for free. Check it out right now on fearlessfostering.com. Thank you. Wow. So now you're fostering this beautiful teenage girl. And so how is that going? Like, how are you guys doing together now? I mean, you said it's been some time now that she's been with you. How, how are things going lately for you guys? That's wonderful. I mean, it, when she came, it was really obvious that growing up in foster care, she had a lot of behaviors and challenges, lack of communication, things like that, that it weren't her fault, you know, but were, were challenges that things that she needed to, um, be in a safe place to explore without shame. Because I think most of maybe the things I've been trying in the past were to use some sense of shame to control the behavior or to modify the behaviors when honestly, she just needed to be taught and have someone to be patient with her and say, Hey, let's try that again. You know, the simplest things to just kind of rewire, you know, her sense of desire for connection, because I think especially knowing her story and knowing a little bit about the brain, there are certain areas of the brain that if they don't develop that reward system for connection, it can be so hard to feel that sense of attachment later on. And that's not her fault. That's genuinely just something that she has to, to work through. And so we've worked really hard on some of those things and we're in a really good place. I love that she feels so open that she can share anything with me. Um, being closer in age, sometimes I'm like, ah, like I'm actually going through this too, but <laughs> <laughs> being single and 29, like dating and stuff, it's, it's, it's interesting, but I love it and I'm here for it. And, and there are a lot of ways that I'm mom, but more so I'm here to be her forever family in whatever way that looks best for her. So sometimes that does look like an older sister or a friend and then, you know, stepping back into that mom role when needed. But yeah, things are really good. I'm so proud of her. She's so courageous. She has this like internal motivation that I did not have as a teenager that will take her so far. And I can't take credit. That is all her for sure. And um, so amazing. So funny. I mean, she has this rolling. It just, I, I didn't even realize how fun life could be to go to a park and see the million ways that you could interact with life is, is actually been really healing for myself and, and really fun to see her, you know, blossom in. So gosh, that's so good. I love that. And it's just such, yeah. such an encouragement and such a reminder that like, there is so much beauty in, you know, in, in foster care and adoption and Absolutely. just, um, despite the brokenness that often and always, you know, exists, you know, with it as well. And it's, it's the both and of those two things. I want to ask you just because, you know, I think as you have, you know, you're fostering, you foster and adopt an older child as a mom who is started out with babies in foster care. And I, I think I have this like fear and I hear this a lot from other people that, you know, what we're afraid to do the wrong thing right? Like we're afraid to do, we're afraid to mess things up. Like I think so many of us, especially, you know, we get into foster care to like 
be a safe place to land for these kids. And right. we want to do it all like to the best of our abilities. And that's noble and good. But I think there's this fear um, too, that can exist there. That's like, what if I do it wrong? What if I, what if I mm -hmm. further traumatize this child in some way by not doing X, Y, Z, or by not doing this thing correctly? What can you, can you speak to that a little bit? It's just someone who's been through it and someone who's also a foster mom. Absolutely. Great question. I love that. I think, you know, following along some of the lines of the trust-based relational intervention, I'm not sure if you talk about that in your, in your circles, like the connected parent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So some of the principles in that are just focusing on connection. And I feel like kids, teens, whoever, even adults, they'll show you what makes them come alive, even if in little tiny snippets, right? And they'll, they'll trust you in little tiny ink, like inklings. And so it's up to you to take those and hold those and be really mindful that creativity is sometimes just the greatest almost door of connection, right? Um, I, I think for me, just when I think about my daughter and what she's been through, I don't know, I, I've only known her for what, six, like two years out of 18. Mm -hmm. There are so many moments and so many stories that she carries in her heart that I may never understand or know. And so if I look at her and I see a word of ungratefulness, or if I feel a sense of sharpness over her, it's my choice to choose connection. It's my choice to choose compassion and gentleness. Because if I choose to, to look at that behavior, and I, I speak to the behavior and not her identity, then I have so much more of a space to speak into her life than if I was to speak shame over her. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And when those moments where they mess up big and they get a gentle and kind response from you or they get an understanding trauma-informed response, it's amazing what they will trust you with, right? You'll get more of who they are. And then you take that and you celebrate that and you be creative in that and intentional in that. My daughter loves horses and actually... <laughs> When she came to me for respite the first time, when I wasn't intending on adopting, uh, the first two things that she said to me is like, can we get horseback riding lessons and will you adopt me? Oh. And literally talk about that conversation all the time because that's how bold and amazing she is. She'll tell oh, you, God. you know, and we made it happen. And that week she was entered into a horse camp, right? And so it took sacrifice and there wasn't always gratitude in it. And there was, you know, attitude and but seeing her and her worth and everything she had been through, meeting those needs over and over again and what makes them come alive is always worth it, despite if we get any sense of validation from it. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so good. It's just so just necessary to have that reminder that connection mm -hmm. first, that just that's yeah. and truly, I mean, I think that can be, yes, it's a foster care and adoption thing, but it's just a human thing. Like we just absolutely all yes. <laughs> yeah. people talk about, you know, what's the best way to do like, you know, trauma informed parenting or whatever. I'm like, I would like, that's just like the way we all should just be parenting. Like we should all just right. be like connection absolutely. first and attachment first and how we should um, treat the person in the grocery store yes. that's being grumpy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm like, all so much that we don't see there's, there's, just so much hurt and so oh, much yes. pain in this world. And why would we want to add to any of that? Right. 
Absolutely. I mean, I have my bad days. I'm not always this chipper and happy and perfectly spoken person. I, you know, I get it wrong, but I think too, just humility, choosing Mm. that, even if it's not even natural for you, like it's just choosing to take a humble road and and realize we don't know these children. We don't know, you know, they just freaked out and threw the cup against the wall, but we have no idea that they're actually really scared of loud noises and that garbage truck going by freaked them out and they can't tell us and they're not going to trust us yet to tell us. But if we sit there and shame that behavior, we miss out on all of the beautiful moments we could have had if we had pressed in and, you know, Mm. I think that's such a good way of looking at it, just reframing it to what are we going to miss with this child, with this beautiful soul, if we can't see past the behavior? You know, I think that so many of us, I speak for myself, but I speak for, I think a lot of us, that we were raised with like, you know, behavior, behavior, behavior modification. And that just doesn't work with kids who have come, you know, through foster care, whether they came in at birth or as a teenager or whatever, like, it's just, it's just not going to work. So just to re, re, totally <laughs> reframe everything and, and the way that we Absolutely. parent is so important too. Mm. Kristen, I, I could think- talk to you all day. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say one more thing. You know, yeah. I feel this could be at a topic itself, but one of the things that I have seen even just recently are people that really want to make a difference, um, but are not trauma informed and they really want to have that savior hat on or they for even for religious or just for personal reasons want to make a difference the biggest advice i would be would not to go deep into a relationship with a foster until you really truly have done the work to become trauma informed Mm -hmm. because i have seen so many kids including my own story of people who've had really good intentions they want to make a difference and then as soon as it becomes not the shiny new toy anymore or the you know like it's it's not as exciting anymore it's Uh, maybe has some challenges or they're not sure how to deal with boundaries. They just check out, you know, and and those kids are left with another longing sense of rejection and, um, and they get to be cut free and go back to their lives and it's fine. But for the kid, it's, it can be devastating. And so anyone that's genuinely wanting to get involved, especially with young adults or youth, really befriending a foster family first, one that's doing it really well and learn Um, how to speak and how to be around foster youth in a really encouraging, but also being honest and within boundaries. You know, if you're not wanting to stay part of that child's life for a long time, not making those promises, not wanting to come in and feel a sense of I'm doing a good thing. It's, hey, you're right in front of me right now. I'm going to be present with you for right now. I hope that's a good reminder. And so just quickly, how do you how do you recommend that people who are not trauma informed, like you said, befriending a foster Mm -hmm. family? Absolutely. Do you have any other like things that have been helpful for you or that you know that have been helpful for other foster moms to just really start the journey of becoming trauma informed? Because I think that's where a lot of people are before they even become foster parents, they first hear the words Mm -hmm. trauma informed and they're like, wait, what does that mean? Where could they kind of get some resources around that? Absolutely. I'm a reader. So I know not everyone's a reader, um, I love audiobooks. So even the new Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry book, yes. What Happened to You, Ugh, so yeah. easy to understand. And it, I think, honestly, it encapsulates so much good wisdom on how to view people that have come from early childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great place to start. And that's an easy read, easy listen to. The Body Keeps Explore is a bit harder to maybe understand, <laughs> but it's a great next step. 
And then, of course, the TBRI, trust-based related intervention, there's nothing like it that I've seen that just has the heart of the gospel wrapped into taking care of anyone yes. from a heart. Oh, so. gosh. Thank you, yeah. Kristen. Thank you so much. I cannot even thank you enough. Your, um, your vulnerability and your willingness to share is such a gift and such an encouragement. I would love for people to be able to continue to follow along with you online. Where would be the best place for them to find you? Sure. I think Instagram would be easiest. Okay. Um, it's just kberge. Cool. It's I'll definitely link to it so that everyone can yeah. find it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Thank you for taking this time. Oh, yeah. I truly appreciate you. And I definitely like foresee another episode down the road because I just know you have so much <laughs> to share. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Wonderful. Thank you, Kathleen. <laughs>